Hey, what's happening, friends? Welcome to another fun-filled episode of Jazztopia. I'm your host, Bobby Spellman. I hope you're having a wonderful time out there. Hope you're enjoying the beautiful outdoors in the couple of weeks before it starts to get cold for the winter time. Hope you're able to go out and check out some great music and enjoy yourselves as we slowly creep away from this very strange couple of months that we've had. <laughs> but I know that I've been able to catch some really great music lately, uh, both inside and outside, and there's been some really great music coming out, new recordings being released. The music is alive. It's alive and well, and I'm happy to be able to bring you some of the creators of that music today. Uh, we're going to have a fun episode for you. Before we get started, I wanted to do one more week of uh, just spreading the word on a couple of GoFundMe campaigns that have been put together to try to raise some money for a couple of clubs in New York City that were uh, negatively impacted by the COVID lockdowns. And uh, so I wanted to spread the word. We have, uh, if you go to the GoFundMe page, GoFundMe.com, uh, you can search for Help Us Keep the 55 Bar Alive. The 55 Bar is an iconic Jazz Club in Greenwich Village here in New York City, and every time I'm in there, they've got some really amazing music happening. So uh, they're doing all right, but they, uh, you know, they can raise a little more money to uh, help support the club after a year of lockdown. So if you got a little extra money lying around and uh, you want to support this iconic New York City jazz venue, you can go to GoFundMe.com and look for Help Us Keep the 55 Bar Alive. Uh, another club in New York uh, doing a GoFundMe right now is Shapeshifter Lab in Brooklyn, New York. Another amazing jazz venue uh, run by Matt Garrison and Fortuna Sung. Uh, it's a beautiful place, and they put on some really great music. Uh, so go check that out. You can you can search for Help Save Shapeshifter Lab. Once again, if you've made some money over the last little while and you want to help support some New York jazz venues that were hit pretty hard, you can check them out and throw some money down. If you got some money and you want to support the arts, I'll tell you what you can do is you can buy some new albums. When musicians are releasing albums, that's a very good way to support them. Uh, you know, you can stream them on Spotify and all that stuff, but the musicians make about one seven thousandth of a cent per play. Whereas when you buy their album, they might make upwards of $2.50 per album, which you can actually, that's, that's actually pretty solid. So be sure to, whenever you can, support the artists and buy their music. All right, now on to the fun. My guests this week are Kazemde George and Sammy Stevens. Kazemde George is a Brooklyn-based tenor saxophonist, composer, and band leader. Originally from Berkeley, California, Kaz moved to Boston, Massachusetts in 2007 to pursue a degree in neurobiology from Harvard University, while simultaneously earning his master's degree in jazz composition at New England Conservatory. While at NEC, Kaz studied uh, privately with Jerry Braganzi, Cecil McBee, Donnie McCaslin, John McNeil, Jason Moran, Danilo Perez, and Miguel Zanon. In 2012, Kaz received a grant to study traditional music in Cuba for 10 months, and he continues to perform traditional Cuban music as a percussionist and vocalist with the group Kiki Kiri, BK. Uh, Kaz has also performed with Solange Knowles and St. Heron, David Murray, Roman Filiou, and Jason Moran. Sammy Stevens is a Brooklyn-based vocalist and songwriter, and she also happens to be Kaz's wife. 
Sammy grew up in East Winthrop, Maine, and moved to Boston to get a degree in psychology from Tufts University, while simultaneously earning a degree in vocal jazz performance from NEC, these overachievers, a couple of geniuses over here. From there, Sammy moved to Brooklyn, and uh, in 2017, Sammy released her album, And I'm Right, with her band Sammy Stevens and the Man I Love. In addition to leading her own groups, Sammy performs with Tradici Bocci and has appeared on a number of television and movie soundtracks. And uh, she's also performed with pianists Jason Moran and Fred Hirsch. We got together recently to discuss Kazemde George's new album, I Insist, out now on Greenleaf Music. We discussed the making of the album, Kaz and Sammy's compositional collaborations, the New York City jam session scene, and the importance of community in jazz music. We had a lot of fun, and I know you will too. So without further ado, I give you Kazemde George and Sammy Stevens. Great. All right, Kazende George. Congrats on the new record, I Insist, on Greenleaf Music. Thank you. When did it come out? October? October 21st. Yep. And it's your debut album, all original music. That's right. Yep. yep. Ten what? songs. Amazing. Uh, what's the band? Um, the band is my wife, Sammy Stevens, on vocals. We're going to have mm -hmm. her come in. She'll be here in a minute. Um, me on saxophone. Um, piano player is somebody who we both went to school with at NEC, Isaac Wilson. And on bass, it's Tyrone Allen from DC. Tyrone Allen the second, I should say. And Adam Aruda on drums mm -hmm. from, I want to say Toronto. Is he from Toronto? He's from Canada. Sure, Canada. All right. Great. Uh, now, I want to do a little Kazemde retrospective before we get started for all of the, oh, okay. all of the uninitiated who aren't familiar with your... Uh, your upbringing and your background as a musician. Sure. So Let's you start off. You start off in California. Uh, what got you into music in the first place, and what brought you to saxophone? Well, my dad is a huge music fan, and so growing up, music was always like really important. Always music playing in our house. Always really good music. Like I grew up listening to like Keith Jarrett, Bob Marley, Paul Simon, uh, a lot of reggae and dub music. Um, Burning Spear, stuff like that. Herbie Hancock, it's Ornette Coleman. You listen to a lot of good music in the house. So then, you know, I, I also, my parents had me start on piano lessons when I was really young too, when I was like six or seven, started playing piano. And around when we moved to California, when I was like nine or 10, they were basically like, why don't you pick another instrument? Because I think piano, I mean, yeah, piano was never really like, my favorite thing. I didn't really like practice that much, but they took me to a guy's house who like had all the different like woodwinds, and they were like, "Which one do you want to play?" And I picked saxophone. So uh, yeah, then I started playing saxophone ever since then, and got pretty into it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> was there anything in particular? It was just that that happened to be the instrument that you chose, and then you've stuck with it since then. Well, I don't know. I think my parents took me to somebody who played woodwinds, so yeah. he didn't have like trumpet or anything. But right. it was you basically between like. Flute, saxophone, and clarinet, basically. Yeah. And I was like, saxophone. Stands to reason. Um, but I remember the first day I got my saxophone, I was so into the idea of like improvising. Like I just like grabbed the horn and just like started playing, even though I didn't know any of the notes, and it probably like sounded god awful. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. just that idea of like, oh, like this is something where you just like you kind of just do it. <laughs> like I always loved that, and I thought like practicing piano was so boring because it was like 
I, I was always practicing in the context of like, here's a piece that is written on paper and like your job is to play this perfectly and like every note that you play wrong is like a punishment. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, so yeah, I think that, that difference when I was nine years old was really cool to me. Yeah, so the saxophone just gives you the opportunity to improvise or you came at it from a different perspective. It seemed like a less Right, well it's funny because the instrument has nothing to do with that, right? No, it's just sure, a mindset, but something right. about the instrument told me like, this is an instrument where like there's more freedom. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. It's not always clear why, but I think that makes a lot of sense. So what was your, um, did you have like a, a like jazz band in school or what was it that you, that you when you were coming up, like how did you learn to get into improvisation and yeah, so world. I went to East Bay School of the Arts for middle school, which is like a private arts middle school. It's not around anymore. It kind of was fell apart, actually, about while I was there. But um, I was there for two years, and Jim Munzenreiter was the band leader. I remember him. He was pretty hilarious. He had us playing some dope music in, like, sixth and seventh grade. I remember we did, like, a recording session where we, like, went to a recording studio and recorded the songs we were working on. We recorded Triste and In a Mellow Tone. I remember those two songs. Oh, and Pick Up the Pieces. Um, dope songs yeah. that I still think are really good songs to this day. So that was cool. In high school, I didn't have any jazz or music at my school at all. It was like a really small public alternative high school that I went to. And yeah, they didn't really have extracurriculars. So instead, I did this program called Oaktown Jazz Workshops, which was led by this trumpet player, Khalil Shahid, who passed away a couple of years ago. Um, or a while ago, maybe more like eight years ago. But um, he, um, he ran a really cool program where I feel like I like basically learned all, like the oral tradition of jazz from him and the other instructors. It was like twice a week they would basically run an ensemble where kids would come play, but there would always be like professional musicians playing with us. So Khalil would play trumpet, there would be like a professional bass player, this guy Ravi. Um, There'd be a piano player. Robbie runs the program now, by the way, and he's great. Um, there'd be, like, a piano player and a drummer there, and so the kids would play, but, like, if for some reason there wasn't a kid drummer, then it would just be, like, a professional jazz drummer that you'd get to play with at the session. Um, so we'd learn a lot. And then they would take us out and do gigs with us, too. Mm. Um, so we learned a lot of just, like, how to do a gig, um, how to learn music. And it was really, we they really deprioritized reading in that, for mm -hmm. what it's worth. So... I always, later I felt like my reading was really poor, like when I was in college, and I had to really catch up. But I feel like I learned a lot of other skills in terms of like using your ear and how to like communicate with musicians off the page and a lot of stuff like that, mm -hmm. that I, I really value today. Sure, so, yeah, and you talk about cool. the, the oral tradition. Um, I think that's something that is often lost in, let's say, contemporary jazz education, where it becomes a lot about theory and a lot about technique, but the idea of like learning music from recordings and learning, like passing music down from, you know, teacher to student or from musician to musician is sometimes put on the back burner because it's a little bit, I don't know if it's harder to teach that. I don't know what it is if it's like, um, it doesn't follow the sort of classical methodology that people learn or something like that. But what was like, how did they do that? How do they convey that? You know, was it a matter of just learning the music by ear? Or they would like, make us learn songs by ear. That's one big thing. They would make, yeah, they would, um, that was kind of the biggest thing, but I also feel like they just drilled into us a lot of, like, specific just practices, like, like, there'd be a big group of us, you know what I mean? There'd be, like, eight horn players, and I remember, like, these days when it would be, like, okay, we'd take us, everybody would take a solo on, like, Blue Monk or something, you know, and 
I remember it would be like somebody would take their solo and then they would like we all sucked like right we were like ninth graders <laughs> like you, you get lost on the form and then you like end your solo totally in the wrong place and I remember them just like and then the next person would come in somewhere in the middle of the form and I just remember them really being like no 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 like you guys have to know where you are in the form and you have to signal to the band that you're ending your solo so that, and then the next person has to come in right away. So somebody ended their solo, and then the rest of the seven of us were like, whose solo is it? They would like get on us for that and be mm -hmm. like, somebody has to come in. Like, you guys are a group. You have to fi like figure this out. And they would make, they would drill us on that type of shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just feel like that was really valuable. I think sometimes people, when they're in their jazz programs, it's really just about like, read this chart, like, get, and execute this stuff, like, play this chord scale. Um, we were learning a lot of other specific stuff that I just like really value today. Yeah, stuff that holds through to being a professional musician that applies to like, yeah. know, or as an artist or whatever, whatever it happens to be. Yeah, there's just like a lot of learning from experience too. Like another specific thing I remember is like being on a gig with Khalil and like we would end a song and he would be like almost immediately counting off the next song. And we didn't have a set list, but like he, he, well, clearly, when we were playing the previous song, he was thinking about what the next song would be, and he was picking a song that he, that he just knew everybody knew. Right. So he could just call it, count it off right away, you know. And it's like, man, that's a that's a pet peeve I have with a lot of jazz musicians who are fully grown, like professional musicians, bro. They be up on the stage, and the song ends, and they're just like talking and shit. And it's like the audience feels this a really uncomfortable feeling of being like, uh. Yeah. So are you guys going to play or what? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like, so I'm really grateful that I learned a lot of these like, yeah. kinds of things. There's, a lot, there's more. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure, these are just specific lessons that I really specifically remember, but I feel like there's a lot of subtle things that they were teaching us. Sure. Well, you're going to get a lot out of it, too, if you have the opportunity to play with professionals. If you have that's the opportunity to like, yeah. hang out and play with people who actually want to you know, that's, play. That, that's what it comes down to, is that concept of like mentorship. Mm -hmm. For sure. Know? As opposed to... The like classical like Western academic system of like teacher with a bunch of students like as opposed to like a mentor who's like taking you under your their wing and you're learning from that person not because they're like telling you what to do but you're just learning from their example you know mm -hmm. you you follow what they do sure right and, and they just tell you if you fuck up or something right <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you leave, you graduate from high school and then you go to do the the Harvard NEC joint program right. Which is, the way they do that is, you're playing music the whole time, but you get an undergrad, you get like a, a bachelor's degree from Harvard and then a master's from NEC, yep. right? Yep, you do your lessons at NEC, and I did some ensembles at NEC, and yep, at the end of that you get your master's in music and your undergrad from Harvard. What'd you do at Harvard? I studied neurobiology, which is, what is fascinating that? to me to this day. Neurobiology is the study of the biology of the nervous system, which primarily includes your brain, but also just your whole external nervous system that runs through your whole body. It's the biology, like looking basically at a cellular, chemical and cellular level, how does your brain function and how does it do all of the different tasks that it carries out, but from a cellular level, because there's, there's chemists, there's brain chemistry that, that, that people study and then there's like, there's a lot of um, what you call like neuroscience, which tends to be more on a more macro level. It's looking more at like data and 
envisioning the brain as a system and then sort of trying to run computation on that system. Um, whereas neurobiology really focuses on like, okay, we've got a population of cells that are interacting and doing different, carrying out different processes that eventually create your brain, your, your brain functions. So how do they do that? What's this cell doing? How does this cell communicate with that cell? That's mm -hmm. kind of what it, what, it, what it is. Yeah. Do you feel like other than sort of a avocational interest that that study has, you carry any of those lessons with you into the world of music? Um, that's a good question. I ask myself sometimes. I mean, in a in a in a really concrete way, no. I don't like. I'm not like running neurobiology <laughs> calculations, you know, on the day to day to like help me make music or anything like that. But I think there's some deep truth that I uh, that I understand about the brain that 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 we as humans have learned from neuro neurobiology, and by having studied that like in depth, I feel like I understand it on a level that is that helps me understand certain things. Just like. I mean, I don't know, one thing that's popping to mind, my mind is like, I think all musicians interact with the concept of like muscle memory mm -hmm. and how to develop muscle memory. It's like crucial to practice, right? right? So I feel like it's, on, I, don't know if, I don't know what it's really worth, but on some level, I think I understand that process of how you form muscle memory a little more specifically than your average musician, mm -hmm. just because I've studied those kinds of things. And don't ask me to explain that right yeah. now. <laughs> I'll fall on my face. But, no, that's all right. I think the average, you know, probably people listening to this would fall off at a certain point. But I mean, that's that's the most I can say is that, like, yeah, I mean, like, the, there's certain things about how we learn that I've studied in depth that I think I have some interesting insight on just through the lens of neurobiology. Sure. But am I applying that constantly all the time? I don't know if it completely, like, shapes my whole worldview or anything. Yeah, but, but it's an interesting background. And then at this, at, while you were at Harvard as well, you went to Cuba. Yes. For what, a semester? For two semesters, for 10 okay. months, for like almost a, almost a year, basically. How did you pitch that? Did you have to pitch something? Was it Yes, like, absolutely. I applied for a grant. So you, took, you got a grant and you said to them, I'm going to Cuba for... Yeah, well, the grant is a very specific, interesting grant that Harvard offers. It's for graduating seniors, so it's supposed to be for like after your last year at Harvard. And it's basically a travel grant that is made... It's called the Gardner Fellowship, and it was made to encourage students. Basically, the context is the person making the grant is aware that um, Harvard students are extremely career and academically focused, and it was meant to push them outside of their career and their academic interests and force them to basically sort of like find themselves hmm. in another country, not thinking about academics and not thinking about their careers. So that was like the specific requirements of the grant was like really? give us a proposal that is not academic and not career based wow. for okay. you to go to another country carry out a project or some sort of like you know learning or something so my proposal was to go to Cuba and study Afro-Cuban percussion it sure. was awesome so what did you learn what did you take away from the, your time in Cuba besides um, being able to speak Spanish man it's a long conversation, man. I took away a lot from Cuba. I learned Spanish. Um, I learned Cuban Spanish, which is very specific. Um, I learned how to play rumba music, mm -hmm. which is a, is a style of um, of kind of like popular sort of street drumming um, that people play in Cuba that is really amazing, that I, I really love, and I continue to practice and play today. Mm -hmm. you, got, you got a band 
What's the name of the band? Kikiriki BK. Yeah, I have a. I have a. Um, <laughs> you might have to say that a little slower, it's man. It's Kikiriki BK. Right on. BK stands for Brooklyn. Okay. BK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a rumba band that I still play. I'm like the lead singer in a band that is all in Spanish. It's kind of hilarious. Sure. Keep um, it up though. Yeah. So learning that and it was really fascinating to like experience living in a um, in a communist dictatorship. Sure. That, yeah, I believe it. That is such a different experience than anything I had mm -hmm. ever seen just in America or any of the other countries I've been to. So that was cool. Um, I feel like I got a really unique experience too because I, I really feel like I was able to be a sort of a real fly on the wall because I look Cuban and after a few months, my accent, like I got really good at faking being Cuban. People would think I was Cuban all the time in all sorts of situations and so I feel like a lot of foreigners going there, when everybody's really aware that you're not from there, they sort of treat you different. It's sort of inevitable. Mm -hmm. But I feel like there was a lot of moments when I got to not get that different treatment. People were treating me like some other random dude from Cuba. Mm -hmm. um, and that was cool. I feel like I learned a lot from that, just about like Cuban culture that most tourists or visitors wouldn't get to, to get, you know? Sure, no doubt. Uh, I think we can cover this later on, talking about the record in particular, but do you feel, I mean, you must feel like the music that you learned there, learning percussion and being around that scene, and that has to have had a substantial influence on your music. Definitely. But it, it, it sounds to me like your writing and playing is sort of an organic inclusion of that music. It isn't like, you're not playing specifically Afro-Cuban music or writing music that is like yeah. overtly Afro-Cuban, but there are components of that that seep into your music. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and when I when I think about like fusion music, so-called fusion music or whatever, sure. mm -hmm. sometimes I feel like, and I'm definitely not naming any names or anything, but sometimes we get a little like some people get a little, in my opinion, a little off with how it should really be done. I think that people sometimes they set out to combine two types of music, and they go, "I'm going to take jazz and I'm going to combine it with Afro-Cuban music." So let me like put my brain to this, and there's definitely something to be said for that. I don't, don't want to say that's all bad, but. I, in my own music, prefer to do it a little differently, which is that like, if I want to combine jazz and Cuban music, well, I should study jazz and internalize jazz and make jazz part of who I am, and study Afro-Cuban music and internalize that and make that part of who I am, and then I should just make music, mm -hmm. um, and that that's the fusion. It's in me, you know. Um, the other way feels a little surface level sometimes if mm -hmm. you're not going to the if you're not going to the lengths to really internalize that stuff and you're just like going going through sort of like a practice of being like I'm going to combine these things I thought about it this is the combination that I've created um sometimes I'm not as I'm not as convinced by that kind of music sure so that's my goal is to just like internalize the shit out of that stuff and then just play exactly like how you said I think you summed it up for me pretty well mm -hmm. cool so I think we're getting Pretty close. We'll bring Sammy in here in a second here. But before um, before we do that, so you got a bunch of tune, original tunes on this, the new album, and you're writing all the time. What is your writing process then? Writing process. I write on piano. Okay. I love the piano. It's such a great instrument. Or these days, I usually write on my Nord keyboard. Sure. But uh, I. I'm really feel really inspired by the musicians who I get to play with, like the rhythm sections that I play with, and um, going out to play gigs. So usually I'm writing stuff that 
with those guys in mind, I'm like, oh, I want to play this with these cats. Um, and yeah, I, I get on the piano and I'm working out. Usually, a lot of times these days, it's starting from harmonic ideas. Okay. Um, over the last 10 years or so, I've really been studying Brazilian music, and I'm really inspired by the way voice leading, the way they use voice leading in Brazilian music. Um, it feels very strong. It feels like it's taking all of the history of Western classical music and really condensing it into something that is really beautiful and cohesive. Um, but then combining uh, Brazilian music, just to sidetrack, but like Brazilian music then is also combining so much African rhythm and like concepts of that that like to me it just makes it such a beautiful, beautiful type of music. But through me just studying that harmony, I feel like I try, I'm, a lot of times I'm trying to embody that kind of approach to harmony, but then using different rhythmic approaches than Brazilian music and like different song structures and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I usually end up sort of thinking of harmony and then a lot of times I have the harmony and I, I like to sing the melody that I'm hearing. Mm. So the, the music, uh, I think that, that in that way, uh, my, my, my melodies are very like intuitive. And I see a lot of my peers, I think, write melodies that are less, in, less intuitive. It's, uh, they write melodies that are like a little cerebral sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sure. And I think that's really cool, but I, I just like usually don't do that. Yeah. But my melody is like the melody that just like I want to sing over the thing. Yeah. So, but you're starting is. with, let's say, a harmonic foundation. You'll go yes. through and say like this, ooh, I like where this is going. I like this chord progression. Now let me sing what I'm hearing melodically over it. Rather than starting from like, oh, there's a melody I can use. Let me see if I can harmonize this. Definitely, yeah. At least for this album. And sure. I, I mean, I'm getting to the point where it's become like a specific process that I'm like almost like I need to switch it up and start with the melody or sure, something, right. you know? Um, but it's been working. I, I like the music on this album, so maybe I'll keep writing some songs like this. Yeah, sure. It's interesting. I feel like um, everybody I talk to has a different approach to writing. And, you know, I think there's probably as many different approaches to writing as there are people who are writing. Yeah, isn't it cool? I it's, love that about it. It's amazing. It. Yeah, and it's, it's fun to, get to talk to people about their different Another thing, though, I, could, I should add is, like, this music is music that I, I didn't write this in, like, a year. Um, the most recent songs on the album are probably from 2018. Mm hmm Okay. And the oldest songs are from, like, 2013 that I wrote when I was still in school. So... My process has changed over that time. Sure. Some of those old songs I wrote a little, a little differently. Like for example, Things Line Up, I did not start from the harmony. Definitely didn't. I, that was just like melody, counter melody kind of thing that I wrote on piano still, but I specifically wasn't really thinking about the harmony when I wrote it. It was more just like a melody with a counter melody. Mm -hmm. And that kind of created its own harmony. And then from there I was like, okay, what chords are these? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting, okay, so and that tune, that tune is the melody or the counter melody. I don't know which one comes first or whatever what you want to say. One of them in, on the record is saxophone, one of them is voice. Right. Okay, cool. No, right. actually, no. The sax and voice are sort of harmonizing the melody there, but the, the counter melody is the bass line. Mm, okay. The melody and the counter melody was basically melody and bass. Gotcha. Maybe okay. That's a better way to say it. Gotcha. Right. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But then that, that melody splits off into harmony sometimes, and so that's when, um, that's when the voice and the saxophone split off into two parts. For sure. Okay. Well, let's bring Sammy in here if she wants to come in, because I think this is her. Sammy, I think join this is us. Her moment. Who's <laughs> <laughs> have to cough? Appearing in the in the woodworks. Oh, thanks. You've been very restrained. Restrained. 
Uh, okay, this is Sammy's my wife, by the way. This I don't is know if Sammy I Stevens, that. now Kaz's wife. They are. They have been married in a beautiful ceremony, <laughs> not that long ago. Are you wearing? Yep, that was, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful time. So, one of the things I really like about this album, I love. I love this album. I think you did a great job. Thanks, man. It's really good. All right, everybody listening should check it out because it's really good. <laughs> and there's a lot of music. I'll let me. I'll t I'll, I'm just going to tell you my experience with it for a second. All right, and then we'll get into the specifics of it. So that first of all, people will listen to it, and then so they can pause this and listen to the whole album, and uh, and then come back and check out the rest of it. Okay, but uh, there's a lot of music that comes out now in the sort of greater jazz umbrella that seems to me very. Um, like you, you listen to it and you're like, cool, that's correct. You did the homework. Uh -huh. It came out, um, you know, there's harmonies and everybody played respectable solos and what have you. But maybe uh, something that, maybe this is just a personal opinion of mine and maybe I'm just difficult. I don't know. Is that there isn't as much, let's say, the emotion is lost a little bit to maybe sort of technical perfection or something like that. And I feel like you've, first of all, I think that you've really captured something organic. It does feel like what you it's uniquely your own without having to try to be anything in particular and there's also the energy that i like in like the thing that drew me to jazz in the first place the energy of it and the spontaneity and the communication but more than that like the the spirit of it i don't even know if i have language to describe it i think is there i think you've really captured like a certain energy that is not it's not like let me you're not recreating like 1960s hard bop music or any kind of thing like that and you're not like, you're not like, oh, this is some radical new thing, but it's uniquely your own and it encapsulates, like, all of this music for, throughout time. But I feel like it, it really, um, you've really captured an energy in this thing. So, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for doing that. Um, you did it. In my, in my opinion, you know? Yeah. Um, one of the things you do that's really interesting is the voice is used throughout in different ways, but it's all cohesive. But sometimes you're, you're singing songs and other times, it's saxophone and voice become the two, let's say, horns. Mm -hmm. What you would think of as being horns in a jazz band or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. um, is there a way that you've gone about, like, is the idea behind that, like, okay, we're going to have a second voice here. This will be perfect for voice. Is there, were you thinking about it like timbrely, like voice and saxophone? Or like, where did that approach come about? Um, you can answer that. Well... I mean, there's something about this album that is very practical. Maybe that goes to, <laughs> yeah. maybe that goes to um, what you were saying about us capturing a thing. Because this is music that like, we play at gigs. And that is a real thing that exists out in the world. You could come through and check it out and play one tonight after this. <laughs> um, and that space of like playing specifically at these jam sessions that I usually host that you've been to, um, I've been there. That space has an energy. And if anything, maybe on the record, that's what we captured. Hmm. Um, I like that. that. There may be a lot there. Yeah, I think there's a lot there. Yeah, and that, that's intentional. I really, one of my big gripes with jazz these days, and I think it's the same gripe that a lot of people have, but this is my way of putting it, is that jazz lock, lacks social um, like relevancy these days like the uh, there's no place where j people go to interact with jazz i mean there is there are places but they're not big enough and they're not uh, well understood and jazz kind of the places that people do go to under jazz understand jazz a lot of times they're bullshit they suck <laughs> um, you know and 
Well, in what respect? Let's see if we can solve these problems. We're going to solve these problems. Yeah. I want to get back to your original question about why Sammy's on this. But yeah, I mean, we can solve these problems. I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> but what is it about like other, certain jazz menus where you're like, this isn't working? Well, jazz is just, jazz is like fancy for people. Like, I'm just, I'm, what I'm referring to maybe is like the general associations that people have with jazz are like all wrong. And they're not real. And, and I, what I'm trying to get at is that I've, I feel like when we do this jam session, like that's a real vibe that people can come hang out at. And like musicians who come to jam, they're, they're there for like a real reason and we're socializing and we're interacting with the greater community there. And I feel like the way that the community is generally interacting with jazz is all fake and it's basically just capitalism and it's just marketing. It's almost it's like bullshit marketing. Like the same way you would interact with art at like a very fancy museum or something like that. Like right. it's kind of just like very codified and black and white and you maybe spend a lot of money to be there or you know what I mean? It's just very like, oh, this is and now we clap. You know, it's kind of just right. like and I, Exactly. And I think I could make a similar critique of the art world for the same exact reason. Where it's not something that people in the community know how to genuinely interact with. Like, when I think of a great jazz audience, they're listening to the music and they're interacting with the music in a certain kind of way that I feel like people in general don't know how to do. Mm -hmm. um, and at this session, they do, is what I'm getting at. Like, I feel like I'm creating that space that I want to where I feel like jazz is really alive and, like, this music, improvised music that we're playing is really alive. Um, um, just to get back to our, my original point, why I even brought up this whole like, conundrum is just that Sammy's my wife, and so, like, she, she would come to these gigs and she'd be there, and it would be like... <laughs> also, and on top of that, Sammy is an incredibly versatile singer who can sing... Like you mentioned, she's doing different things on the album. She can sing a swing song really, really well. And she can sing a song like Happy Birthday, which is like an R&B song, really, really well. And she can sing a song like Things Line Up, where the, the melodies are incredibly like jumpy and complex and hard to sing on, on, on tune. She can do all of that flawlessly. So in, when she's there at the gig, and it's like, okay, I have this music that I'm developing, and you're also there when I'm writing all the music. It just makes sense to bring her in in any moment where it's like, oh, I could add another little part here. You could sing this part. Or this is a song song, and I want you to, like, sing the melody. Help me write lyrics, Sammy. You know what I mean? Like, all that. So it's just, I feel like I was trying to create a space for jazz, and Sammy was in that space, so... That's why she's there, you know, on the record doing that's why all that you stuff. Show up. <laughs> that's fair. That is why you gotta show totally. up. That's a real thing. Yep. Uh, okay, I want to get back to the jam session, but two of the tunes, "Skylight" and "Happy Birthday." How did those come about? So Sammy wrote the lyrics to those ones. Yeah. Um, and I wrote like the music. You wrote the melody to "Happy Birthday" too, correct? Or did I? No, I think I wrote the melody. To it. I don't remember. I don't remember. I'm gonna have you get closer to that mic just so that we can. Okay, I'm moving it. Um, but yeah, basically, those songs were little collaborations where I had a song written and Sammy helped me out and we turned it into like a real, I don't know, I'm using the concept of a song as being like a song like with a lyrics. Like a songy song. Like um, a song with lyrics. And I think it worked really well. I mean, the fact that Sammy knows me so well and that she's heard the songs from their conception from when I was still just working out the harmony or whatever, she's a great person. To write lyrics for me. I think also... You're a great poet, you know? Thank you. I think we kind of just have like a similar 
perspective, maybe not a similar background, but like what we are, what we care about in music is pretty aligned, mm -hmm. our priorities. So I think it just, it works. We've been making music together since before we were dating. It was in our first worth. rodeo. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, how long is that? Since the NEC days? Because Sam, yeah, you probably. also went to I think NEC I, like, for the public. Seven, eight years, maybe. I think more. I think maybe almost a decade. Yes. Yes. Something else, I huh? I went to NEC, yeah. Yeah. And many more. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. So if you go into writing lyrics for one of these pieces, mm -hmm. what what... Let's take let's take examples. Let's do examples. So yeah. pick one. Pick your favorite one. Skylight. Let's talk or about Happy Skylight birthday. because oh. that's kind of a funny story. Okay. So Kaz wrote the song, the melody, and the um, harmony and everything, and then there was some kind of conversation I don't remember exactly of like, do you want me to write lyrics for this? I feel like this would work with lyrics, or you asked me to write lyrics, something like that. And so you know, I'm just trying to get a sense of like, so what do you imagine this song to be about? Like, what do you imagine the mood of this song to be? Um, which is always a funny conversation with Kaz because I feel like usually the answer is like, well, this is a song that it's music. <laughs> it's like, I feel like you don't tend to think in like metaphors. I have much. a hard time describing like, uh, metaphors to, right. to music. Sometimes it feels weird. I don't get it. Yeah. It feels like a force <laughs> for you. So, so I was kind of, you know, but you had already titled it and what was the origin of the title? I don't even, I don't remember. I Why think it I might have just been skylight. kind of like one of those like, I love lamp kind of things, you know? <laughs> um, so he was like, skylight, you know? So I was like, okay, so you want me to like write a song about a skylight? And you were like, Sh sure. And so I just wrote it about a skylight. Interesting. But it, but it creates, <laughs> in that case, then you have, to, you have to be creative about, you have to say like, what can I do with it? Here's the idea. Exactly. How do I work around this and try to create a story behind this? Exactly. And I, I wouldn't have done that if I felt like I was really just if it sucked you know what I mean <laughs> I just liked that as a prompt I happened to like just enjoyed that kind of um, challenge to be like okay we're writing a song about a skylight because I feel like a skylight actually is just like ripe with symbolism and metaphor and like I think I think a skylight is you know any kind of window I think it could be a million different things you know metaphorically like poetically speaking but a skylight is sort of a it's a special kind of window. So I that was like a, just, you know, that just worked out for you me. You made a really great video for that, too. Thank you. Sammy also made the video for that song. Mm. Right on. Where can people find that? Um, it's on YouTube. I think yeah. it's on the Greenleaf Music YouTube channel. That's cool. right. Great. All right. Well, everybody should check that out. Along with a couple of other videos of ours and all their other videos, which are great. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. I think very often... Uh, I, I often say that limitation, limitations breed creativity. Because right. oftentimes, if you have infinite things to deal with, sometimes it's like, where do I even start with this? But to start with a prompt like, oh, what is this? Yeah. It's going to be a skylight. Where can you go with that? And the idea of the metaphors and various things like that. Yeah. I'm also just generally really interested in, like, surrealism. Mm -hmm. Like, I like writing lyrics that are kind of, like, surrealist. So it worked that way. Mm. Uh, what about happy birthday? That seems like a very different oh vibe. <laughs> so happy birthday was originally entitled Froyo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was a beat that I made. I mean, it was just a little, a little ditty on the computer. It had some little drums and a little chord part. And then I sort of was like, man, I want to play this live. So I wrote it out. But then it was like, okay, this is still kind of just a beat. Like I, we could make it into a song, but it needs like a melody. So I think I wrote the melody, and then you 
threw some lyrics on it. Yeah. You want know to talk about? I don't want to say too much about the lyrics, but um, I don't know if you're familiar with this concept, which is a <laughs> diss track. A diss it's track. It's a little bit of an it's F like, you song. It's no, like I, it's oh, oh yeah, oh, a diss track. Oh yes, I see. I'm like, you know what I'm talking about. Oh yes, yes, a, a diss track. track. Yes. So, uh -huh. um, it's a little of that. It's sort of a diss track. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's not too petty. And that's so early 2000s. Diss. I know. Just diss tracks. I, yeah. You know what, though? That's. I don't know. That's a, it's in the history of the music too, you know. That's my excuse. Hey, for Fables being and Bobbis, I think, was the original bitch. diss track. Mm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Stuff like that. Like, it's been around for a long time. Yeah, but I always it always tickles me that because it's like, you know the song's called Happy Birthday. And yeah. It's a, it's a diss track. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Well, it's sarcastic. Sometimes you really yeah. Well, that's the thing. Sometimes you really bring you can bring out sort of the uh, the um, the bite, you know, with if you're it's a little bit contrast with the titles. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like, so there's a little bit of controversy, I think, I don't want to say controversy, but people have very different approaches to titling instrumental music, because I feel like sometimes people come into it and they're like, no, everything has to have a very specific meaning, and you want to convey that yeah. meaning to the audience. Like a theory behind yeah, every like title. Yeah, like every song has to be like imbued with this sort of like deep concept, and then a lot of other people are like, no, music is music, and if you title it, you're actually just taking, you're just confusing the purity of the music or whatever mm. like what is it that why do you title songs the way that you title them um i feel required to title songs as in practical necessity <laughs> yes that's correct um, yes. usually but i'm definitely not against imbuing the music with some sort of metaphorical meaning you know by virtue of a title that's cool too um but that's definitely not my starting point usually usually when I'm writing music, I'm just like, this sounds cool, and if I do this, this will be awesome, and like, you know what I mean? Like, it just, it's more about the sound. Um, music, I think, is a world unto itself that doesn't need anything else. But it's been shown by many great masters that when combined with other things, music can be even better, like meanings, metaphorical meanings, lyrics, dance, etc. So definitely not against all that stuff. Um, the title of your album, there's some history. What are you insist. talking about? I insist. Yeah, so I actually had to, <laughs> I, I ended up calling it I Insist because Sammy came up to me one day and it was an untitled song. And she was like, Kaz, I insist that you title this. <laughs> and so I was like, I insist. And I think you were kind of annoyed. You're like, oh. I think your response you was probably to got a your deep eyes. eye roll from me, but it's yeah. fine. But it is a good title, and I think. As I thought about it more, it kind of goes into sort of the meaning that I've sort of tried to imbue this whole album to with as well, which is sort of a little bit of one that's conscious of social change and um, struggles that people, you know, the black struggle in the Americas. Um, so that's kind of what I think about now when I say I insist. It's being insistent on, on, um, on that struggle and where we are with that struggle. Um, I don't know if we have to get into all that right now, but sure, that's kind of what that means to me now. But yeah, the original t one title came from just you insisting that I title it. Yeah. But sometimes I feel like that's what happens is that this, I, I feel like sometimes songs, it'll start off, you may not even know what the title is, and it will take on its own meaning over time or something like that, and it, it becomes what it will be mm -hmm. later yes. on. Uh, and that's something that I've done with this album a lot. Like, these songs, I've been playing for a long time, so what they started off as 
musically and in my head has definitely changed. Mm -hmm. you sure. Know? And you've been playing these songs. Okay, so there's a couple things I want to do. One is you've been playing these songs both at the jam sessions that you run and gigs that you do in town, as well as a regular gig that you do in the Bay Area. Yeah. At what's the name of the club? Black Cat in San Black Francisco. Cat in San Francisco. And you go out there a couple times a year and Usually, play yeah. for a week at a time. And mm -hmm. then you bring the whole band out from New York and play for a week and if I'm lucky, yeah. Yeah, right. Usually for four, four days or so. I guess it's been, nice. we've been in a global pandemic, so I guess. Yeah. We haven't done it for a while. We're going back out there in a couple of weeks. But cool. yeah, we have to take a hiatus because of the pandemic. Yeah, what's the string of dates? Because obviously I have a huge We're playing um, the day after sure. Thanksgiving. This is 2021. Um, which I think is the 26th, November 26th. 26th, 27th, 28th. Yep. And we have some other dates while we're in town out there. Cool. Yeah. And this music, so that all of these tunes have been, you've been working out with that band for a long time, with a fairly consistent With that lineup. band, it's sort of a rotating cast of characters, but definitely the people who are on the record are people who I've been playing with a lot, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. Right before we recorded it, we went out to Black Hat, played a whole week, like you're saying, came back and recorded the album. So you'd already, you'd been, there's something in music that, I don't know if, non-musicians non might not realize this, but musicians, it's cl it becomes clear when you do it, that you, you become road uh, road ready or like road tested or whatever like if you're there's no so you can rehearse a lot But there's no substitute for just going out and playing the songs Especially multiple nights in a row like you could do it if you do a string of dates by the last date by you know a week in The music's on fire. And there's no yeah. real substitute exactly. for that So doing Absolutely. something like that playing in a club for a while and getting those tunes together You One have thing to I feel play like, for people. Yeah, I feel like we're missing that in the jazz scene because gigs are so scarce man yeah. I wish I had more opportunities to just be fucking playing every night, you know what I mean? That would be great. Yeah. It can be hard to set those things up. Right. Yeah. But you've set it up for yourself, in a sense, in, with the jam sessions. Yeah. That's every week, so that's good. Right. So you've been doing that since you moved to New York almost, right? The first one was the, not the Fifth Estate, it was before that. Yeah, the Fifth Estate was the first one. Okay. That place is not there anymore. And then right. we moved to Parkside for a couple years. Um, that's, that's the song Parkside. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to Salem's Hour, which is where we're at now. And actually, we've been on a really long break from Salem's Hour because of the pandemic again. But we're starting back up literally tonight. We're starting that session In back like up. two hours. In T-minus two hours. <laughs> it's, always a, it's always a good hang. Yeah. What made you want to put together a jam session in the first place? Um, well, going back to practicality, um, it's a great way to meet people. I love like getting to meet new people and play music with people, but I hate going to jam sessions in the city. Sometimes they can be a little lame. And so it's a way for me to do that, but in a way where I'm in control of everything because it's my <laughs> session, um, which I love about it. Um, and, also, and you get to test out all your new tunes and everything. Yeah, that's what I was going to get to. I get to test out my new tunes. It's kind of low stakes. We don't have to play for the full three hours. We just play for like an hour. We play a set, and then it's a session. So it's just this nice way where every hour I can play. And like a lot of times at that, that first set, it's like not everybody's there yet. So we can try out some tunes that are new, that nobody's played yet. Have my dude sight read some stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, for a lot of reasons, it really, it really just works practically. Mm. It's a great way to do it. I mean, you'll me. bring in a song think about it some more, maybe you'll decide like it needs a different section or like totally. something has to change or like I want to do these changes actually for solos or whatever, like you kind of flesh out the arrangement 
you know, based on how it feels to perform it in that context. Exactly. There's a big culture in New York of jam sessions, and that's true of, in many places. But in New York, I think it's it's more prominent. It's like kind of it's hard. There's a lot of people who just won't won't show up to jam sessions at all. But I think it's a big part of the the community or the that's culture right. or whatever. What do you see as being the let's say what people get out of going to these sessions to play with people? <laughs> well, it's like a professional meet and greet, essentially. Um, one big thing about being in New York or just any scene where you're freelancing like this is you just have to show face like people call you for gigs when they saw you last night when they say I need a sax player who are the sax players who's a sax player you think of of the people you've seen (laughs) just naturally so that's that's important yeah it's a way to really get a taste of the competition I think too Hmm. you go to a session and you really you, you're you you're allowed to sort of gauge yourself. Am I as good as these people, or am I better than these people, or are they all better than me? Um, and see, yeah, you get to see, hear the other other players and see if they're what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. Um, so that's really valuable too. And it can just be fun to kind of like hang and be out and play music. And like, yeah, that's the, the fact that well, what you're mentioning that there's such a scene of jam sessions. That's a good example of what I'm talking about of like having a social like relevant relevancy for the music. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that the larger community of non-musicians can also participate in that, I think it's even better. Um, sure. And I think that that exists in the city. And so like that's an example of like what I think we should try to be striving for more in jazz is these spaces that like actually invite people in in a way where they understand w- that they're a part of the music. I'm talking about non-musicians. Yeah, totally. audience, the audience. The audience is yeah. part of the, can be really part of that sometimes. And I think that that's something like in Brooklyn, for example, just to narrow in more specifically, like there's a lot of jam sessions, jazz jam sessions in Brooklyn. And I think for young non-musicians in Brooklyn who are out, a lot of them, it's like a thing they're aware of. It's like, oh, a jazz jam session, I can go out and like, it's a fun thing that I can enjoy and like get to hear all these different musicians. Like, I think that's great. Like that's what I think we're missing more of. Is like, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I feel like like we we need to support that from all angles. Right. In every yeah. way, make that more of a normal thing of what's happening. People going out. Right, and just like to uh, to make it more clear, because this is some of the concept that I was talking about before, and I feel like I tend to kind of rambling about it, but like one example that I think of of like a music that was born out of like supreme cultural relevancy is like hip hop in the '80s and '90s. I feel like everybody and their brother was rapping and beatboxing and creating art and dancing in those times in New York City. And like that's the hip hop scene that we see and like that that richness and wealth of culture like is so apparent when you look back on that era and that time and that space. And like you had these things like the cipher, like a rap cipher. It's this social construct that was real, that existed, that people would interact with. And, like, I remember, like, there's this really classic video of, like, most Def rapping in a cypher. And he just, like, slays it. He just goes in. And there's all these other random dudes just, like, in the circle going like this. There's this one dude who's, like, touching most Def a lot. It's, like, really <laughs> uncomfortable. And, like, that's what I'm talking about. It's just, like, we need more random motherfuckers just out here being like, hey, hey, hey. For jazz, yeah. you know what I mean? And, like, that's what we're missing. I feel like so much of jazz is just trying to be, like, 
the way that it's marketed is just like this is this super fancy thing that you don't exclusive. understand, and that's the whole point is that you don't understand it, and it's exclusive, and you know, a jazz, a, you know, costs seventy bucks to go, you know, to the Blue Note or whatever, and like that shit is is not helping the music, in my opinion. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. I hope that example helps. No, I think it does. what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, and also, but when you talk to old guys, they talk about jazz the way that people would talk about hip-hop or whatever. Like, exactly. A lot of old dudes are like, oh, I wanted to play the trumpet because it was like, the th it was mm -hmm. that was the hip thing. That's how you get girls. Thing. Yeah, right. exactly. But there's, a, but there's a lot of that. I, I wonder where we went astray. I'm trying to figure that out a little bit because, and I talk about this a lot, but like, when I started listening to music, I was into jazz music because I, it was just like, because I loved it. Because mm -hmm. it was like, it was the same as if I was into like punk rock or if I was into, you yeah. know, anything else. Like, it just to me, it spoke to me in a certain way. But it wasn't like I was like, I didn't come at it from the perspective of being in like, oh, this is an academic program and I'm supposed to learn how to play this music because it's like part of school or something right. like that. I didn't really have it as part of school in the way that other people might. But but then when I got, I don't know, at a certain point, I realized like, I don't know if it's the musicians did this. I feel like I want to blame the musicians a little bit, but I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. Like, There's some blame there. Where it's like, but I don't know. I'm, this is what I'm trying to figure out. It's like, where did it go from being like, oh, this is like, no, 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 you're not going to understand this. This this is above your head. You know what I'm saying? Because that's the part that I think people feel that. I think they go to shows and they'll be like, because non-musicians don't understand reggae music any better than they understand jazz music. They're not sitting there like, oh, it's interesting, the, the one drop and the there's, you know, they're playing the, oh, it's the one to the four or something. Like, people don't understand the music theory either way. So what is it, like, where did it go sideways where it's no longer like, um, accessible to the public at large. You know what I mean? How do we yeah, bring it no, back I mean, to that that's mindset? A good question. I that think I it's do a not question of to. your priorities as a player. You know, like why are you, when you're playing a solo, let alone like the writing or anything, or just break it down to like you're playing a solo, who are you playing for? What is the point of your solo? Like what are you serving with your playing? And I think a lot of us are playing for the other musicians. We're playing for ourselves. We're playing for our ego. And I think it's it's kind of a different thing when you see somebody playing for the audience, playing for the listener. And not every jazz musician is, is down to do that. And I'm not even saying that that's what we all should be doing 100% of the time because I think you know it all has value. But I just think at the end of the day, for a million reasons, we need the audience and we need listeners. And to just totally shut them out, it's to our own detriment. You know, we lose out on a lot just shutting the audience out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think academia can be blamed to some degree too. I mean, mm -hmm. we're talking about like the musicians themselves, they bear some responsibility for this, but also like, I don't know, it's like coming out of the the 40s and 50s and maybe 60s when this music did have a lot of relevancy in our society I think and like those spaces that I'm talking about for the music for the audience to actually interact with the music in a meaningful way they existed but I think coming out of that era going into the 70s 80s 90s to current day like the music has become so ac ac academia academic ac yeah I want academified academified thank you <laughs> um um <laughs> And, and in a lot of ways, I mean, that's great. I don't want to say that's the worst thing. Like, just think about, like, school band. I think now kids don't have this anymore because arts have been cut, slashed across the country. Some but parts of the country you might have. Some parts of the country. Band. I know in my inner city schools here in New York, they don't have this. Right. Other parts they do. But, like, school band. Kids show up to band and they get all of the 
the instruments. And like, I think for decades, they learned how to play jazz. And it was this thing that you did in school, in middle school, in high school. And I think generations of kids have that association with jazz of it's like, it's this really hard music. It's kind of like became like, you know, in that way, literally got treated like America's classical music. Um, and I think there's something great about that. That's actually really cool in a lot of ways. But also, I think that we're looking at like some of the downsides of that. And then obviously, when you talk about the college level, I think these the academia thing comes in too, where it's like, yeah, it's just like a lot of these kids, we're just training them to like do the most amazing thing. And it's taken out of that context in the street where people are actually playing for each other. So I think that's part of it too. And I also think the third thing that you could blame, there's this there's the musicians themselves. I think it's academia. And then also like this music has been marketed really in specific ways for a long time that I think people like Miles Davis and a lot of others have really protested about. Um, you know, and to this day, man, like I see like like one thing I've been thinking about is like I see all these I get Facebook ads for like these jazz events in the city and it's, it'll be like an intimate night of jazz or it'll be like the music of Miles Davis. And it's very interesting <laughs> to me the, the way that those are marketed, the photos that they use and like the type of people who are shown in those photos and the type of environments that are shown in those photos. It's, very, it's a very specific thing that they're, that's being pushed on me in that, in that ad. And yeah, I, I don't like... I don't feel represented by that kind of stuff. But I think that those ads that I'm talking about are very representative of like how people think of jazz now, this intimate night of jazz. It's like sexy. I just don't think I don't think I fit into that. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, yeah, right. it's sexy. Or people will tell me be like, "Oh, you sing jazz? Oh, jazz is so relaxing." Right. You know. <laughs> so these exactly. And okay. those kinds of associations and the type of associations that I'm getting from my Facebook ad like I blame marketing and the, the music industry and the record. Like, they've created this bullshit image of jazz that isn't real, so. Sure, right. I also That's think we're all know, just, like, scared of black people. You know what I mean? So to have, a like, a black person. That's part of what I was trying to get at. These Facebook ads like, featured only white people. <laughs> I didn't really say it, but yes, that was. And I just thought that was interesting. It's like you're marketing a music of Miles Davis thing, and it's like you're going to, there was, like, these pictures of, like, these white guys in suits with the instruments. Mm. I don't know. But even like like so if you take it Nothing if you take the opposite right because we we have this like sexy relaxing white people hanging out in a basement right and then the opposite would be like angry or excited or like joyously you know like like celebrating just like anything any extreme emotion in like black people right like just like living this sort of like celebration or anguish or angst or whatever like the drama of their lives like i just feel like that we're still scared of that that's still like freaky As a society, to us yeah a maybe bit. maybe that's true i will say that i was ha i was having a conversation driving back from this gig last night about how a lot of the music that i hear now that i really that resonates with me and i think that resonates with a lot of people in the more rock world or like I don't know that much about pop music, so I can't speak to that exactly, but like a lot of different music is a little bit scary. I feel like the music that resonates with people has to have a little, I maybe, an I could be proven wrong this, but an edge to it, a little bit of a, um, a little bit of danger. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think one of the, like one of the records we were talking about is like um, Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly, or the, or, um, 
what was the record? Um, Flying Lotus is You're Dead. Or like, I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of records in jazz world that would be more like in that realm or something like that. But like that music really resonates with me. Sometimes I feel like jazz has become too safe. Like somebody talking about jazz as being a relaxing style of music, you're not sitting around listening to like Mingus's Let My Children Hear Music and you're like, oh, this is really nice. Let's turn the, you know, turn on some candles or whatever and like check this out. It's like he's trying to get at something that is a deep visceral part of the human condition. Right. And if we lose track of that. But if you go to a rock show, it's not going to be like, oh, everything is technically perfect and we're trying to just convey this like we nailed all the changes or whatever. But something is going to resonate with people because it conveys something that's deeply human, not because it's correct or because it's technically advanced or because it's like, you know, it, it's like avant-garde in, in like a certain sense. To me, that spirit that you're talking about is always going to be what kids are excited about, about their music, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like what the kids are into. And jazz was that at a certain point. And those kids grew up, you know, rock and roll was that. Like, rap was that. And, and what is that now? I don't know. Yeah, I don't Trap know. Trap music. I don't know. But I think there's something there. I mean, there is, maybe that's what, maybe that's what, I don't know. Maybe the music that I tend to gravitate towards is more, maybe that's just me. Maybe it's just a personal thing. I mean, everybody's, you know, who knows? Maybe there's some people out there who are just like. People definitely seek different things in music, man. I mean, that's the value of it. It's true. You know? They really do. You know, I really would never really want to listen to like Kenny G or something like that, but a lot of people love Kenny G, and it's because the music is soothing for them. It's, sure. And, and if you can't see that, I think you're kidding yourself a little bit. Like, it's soothing music in a certain sense. You know, I think as musicians, we cringe a little bit, but for the average person, those kinds of melodies, just like very like nice, very consonant, the um, the dissonance is all very well managed. The tone is pure. The tone is very pure and clean. Like people like that, and they like that because they're looking for something very different than we are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's okay. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not everybody wants to be challenged by music. That's very true. Yeah, and you know that's fine. The the the, <laughs> the beauty is if, they, if everybody can get what they're looking for. So yeah. maybe I shouldn't be too judgmental on any of this. Try stuff, yeah, we try not to judge people for the music that they're into. Yeah, but I, I mean, we do, of course. But we obviously do. We obviously do. I mean. Ruthlessly, as soon as they leave the room. <laughs> what else are we here? Why do we have these degrees? For? God, why did I pay so much money? <laughs> uh, okay, there's a couple other things we could cover here. Um, Kaz, who were some of your early saxophone uh, influences, and do you continue to think about pushing yourself forward as an artist, and what do you do to try to pursue advancing yourself as a as an artistic person well my big saxophone influences were probably john coltrane um charlie parker uh dexter gordon and sonny rollins um joshua redman and miguel zanon i listened to a lot like in the talking about more modern people uh Oh, and Stan Getz. Stan Getz, for a long time, was like my favorite saxophone player. Um, yeah, and I think I've grabbed, grabbed some stuff from all of those guys. Miguel Zanon was actually my teacher in school, and I still study with him sometimes. Um, he helped me out with his album, too, a lot. So Thank you, Miguel. A, yeah, thanks to Miguel. You got to thank you on the, on the record. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so those are, those, are my, those were my main guys growing up. Um, in terms of like pushing myself to develop 
um, trying to keep practicing all the time and get better on my instrument and just improve, you know, all the different various, acts, you know, elements of, of playing the saxophone. Um, that's, that can be a struggle. It's a hard instrument sometimes. Um, we were talking earlier about, like, how learning Cuban music and sort of trying to internalize that and then hoping that it comes out in my music in other ways. Um, so I'm always continuing to work, in, work on that. I have a music teacher right now who's a conga player. Um, so I've been learning. He, he lives in Mexico, but he's a Cuban percussionist. And um, his name's Manly Lopez. And he's been helping me learn how to play different, like, folkloric styles of, of music from Cuba. So I've been learning guido, bembe, and palo. Um, we're probably going to work on playing Guarapachangueo, which is kind of like a style of rumba music, basically. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's one of the really specific things that I've been taking on recently, is like I've been learning new shit on the congos, and all of those rhythms that I'm learning and concepts, I'm really, I think a lot about how I can take those and apply those to saxophone and to my composition, and um, that's definitely... I'm hoping that's in my, you know, my next album. It's going to contain a lot of that information. Hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like that. These those lessons are helping me continue to shape my concept of like what kind of musician I want to be. So that's cool. Um, Do you have a vision for the next album? Not a clear one. Uh, I have some songs that will most likely be on it. I probably. It will probably be centered around playing with Kayvon Gordon, who's a drummer from Detroit, and Tyrone Allen, who's the Tyrone Allen the second, who's the bass player from I Insist. Um, I've been playing with those guys a lot as a trio, um, and we've got some new music that we've been working on that's that's really cool. So that will probably be part of it. I don't know. I don't know what else or what specific directions I'm going to go in with that. Um, yeah. Do you sure. think you'll, just, you'll you'll take the same approach of just shedding the Tunes. I want to play the music a lot more with those guys before we record it. Sure. I feel like if that's your next album, then to me, your album after that it would be like all like Brazilian influenced. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? I feel like I could go a lot of ways. Yeah. Um. I wonder. I I feel like maybe I need to get. I'm getting to the point where I need to challenge myself to write something with more complex arrangements and orchestration. Because my music is very not, not orchestrated, the way I write it. Hmm. Um, with you, you're talking about with additional instruments or just yeah the yeah. Um, sort of in the just the Brazilian thing that you're talking about, like that's one element of Brazilian music that I really love is some of the, not all the time, but certain artists and certain styles really usually involve a lot of really intricate or orchestration mm -hmm. and arrangements. That involve like you know the full orchestra with strings and horns and um, trombone, etc. Um, different parts that are written out very specifically and work really well together. Kind of like soul music. I feel like soul music is very similar in that way. That a lot of times it can involve really complex arrangements. For sure. Yeah. Um, that really recently. serve the music. No doubt. Yeah. I was, I was talking recently about the Motown. All the Motown records. Right. I mean, this, the arrangements of those records are right. unbelievable. So that's something that I always really appreciate in in music, but I haven't done much. That so maybe could come day. in the form of like a collaboration too. I mean, you might just find like the right mm -hmm. person to help you with that. 
Kali says that he wants to write orchestration for a bunch of my music, actually. So maybe that'll that happen. That could be interesting. Yeah, for, do like a song. For my Brazilian See stuff. See how it goes. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Sammy, what about you? What do you do on a daily basis or regularly to try to push yourself forward? Mm. To try to push my, myself anything, forward? I mean, yeah, you, yeah. You, you no, I mean, I, I practice a lot, yeah. <laughs> I'm writing. I mean, I'm kind of sitting on an album right now. Um, I'm kind of finishing up mixing it, I guess. Um, and we'll see what will happen with that. I think it's going to be called Morning, so we can look out for that. Cool. Um, but, I mean, I have, you know, like another couple albums worth of music written. But um, lately I've been, I don't know, I've been kind of interested in, you know, because on my music I'm playing keys, ideally like Wurlitzer, and um, I just started playing with upright bass and drums. Um, and so I've been I've been into doing that more, and I don't know. I'm, it's hard for me to put into like words what I want to do for my next recording, but I feel like it's it's becoming clearer to me slowly. I think it's it's going to be kind of like this sort of like singer songwritery jazzy kind of thing, like my last album, but maybe that kind of like triangulated with almost like Radiohead kind of like. Hmm weirdo sort of like kind of almost like rock kind of like thing like uh, kind of like you know how like fiona apple sometimes will have like a a freak out moment sort of like that <laughs> i feel like yeah, it's totally. like somewhere in there i don't know i'm not trying to like put too many you know put it in too I many feel like boxes in the re recently in the last couple of years you've been really re-envisioning yourself as a musician yes and yeah like, i feel like these days you're more of a singer songwriter yeah and how you think about it as opposed to like a jazz singer. That's right. I've been playing a lot more keyboard. That's the main thing I'm focusing on these days is playing keys and playing and singing and writing for that. And also as opposed to like R&B, I think you were considering, you were conceptualizing your music more in like this neo like soul. Like jazz R&B R &B kind of thing. thing. But now I feel like you've kind of gotten away from that a yeah. little bit yeah. into a different space of like what people generally call singer-songwriter. Yeah, I mean, the term singer-songwriter song. for it's me is... It's a term. Uh, I think it's confusing <laughs> because... Yeah. It's confusing because it is a genre. Like, singer-songwriter music, it's like, go with the guitar. Even when you say it, people have associations with it. And, like, that's definitely not what I'm doing. I don't play guitar, actually. Um, but um, it's just that I'm a, I'm singing and I'm writing and I'm, you know, playing songs. Um, but, yeah, I got... It's kind of... I have, a, like, a group of new songs I'm really excited about that um, I've been... I've been playing with this drummer, um, Diego Ramirez, who's been imbuing Diego. a lot into the songs. I've been really happy with what he's been, been bringing to it. I feel like I'm always hearing my music like with kind of like a like um, a lot a lot more like rhythmic content underneath it. Like I might play like a slow song. But to me, there's always like two over three and there's always like somehow like a clave, you know what I mean? And I feel like I have a really hard time communicating that just cause I'm like not the best at playing keys. Like I'm still, I'm still, I feel like I'm like an intermediate keyboard player. So I'm doing that and I'm singing, but I don't want to be like singing the clave, you know what I mean? So I have a hard time communicating that on my own. Yeah, that's and I what feel Diego's like for. Diego really <laughs> gets it. And he's just like right there and he's really on it. But he's also not just playing everything. He's not just playing too much. Uh, I don't know. I just feel really on the same page with him, and I hope 
that he will continue to play with me. <laughs> it's, it's always such a big deal, the, the different ways that, and I think that speaks to the, the jam session, the community vibe, is the idea that, you know, each individual person that comes into the music is going to bring their own experience and their own artistry to the thing. It's interesting, like, all right, this music may be shaped by whoever is involved in this, and yeah. know, it gives you a support for what it is that you're, you know, what it is that you're doing. Yeah, I mean, ideally, I think you want to create like a grouping of people that's greater than the sum of its parts, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody has, it's like a perfect balance of things, and you're able to communicate and understand, you know, what, what everybody's doing and sort of magnify it in this kind of like exponential way. Mm, for sure. Um, what... Now, you guys spend a lot of time together. <laughs> Too much time. <laughs> uh, what do you notice? Did I hurt that? your feelings? I'm sorry. I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> we do spend a lot of time together. <laughs> Arguably good, Too though. much. <laughs> what do you notice about the difference between the way that the two of you, let's say, um, think about music or think about performing or whatever? Are there stark differences? Do you say to yourself, like, Sammy, do you say like, oh, it's really interesting that Kaz approaches music in this particular way or thinks about things in this way when writing or playing? Or, or is there a thing, Kaz, where you're like, does it, does it bring out the contrast in one another to be able to like spend a lot of time I mean, we have really together? different writing styles. Yeah. Our music is not, the, it's not really similar hardly at all. Yeah. Well, let me just say first, I have so hugely benefited from my musical relationship with Kaz and have learned so much from him throughout the years and just like I can't be even begin to measure I don't know like what I have no idea what I would even sound like like what my writing would be like if it wasn't for how much I've gotten from you in like just hearing you and observing your practice but also getting direct feedback from you on my music I feel like I've really benefited from that that's nice <laughs> it's true <laughs> um, but yeah we have we have pretty different modes of of writing I mean I feel like since we've gotten in this apartment where we have enough space, it's been, Barely I mean, enough space. yeah, there's one door that separates <laughs> where I practice and where he practices, but now we can practice at the same time, which is just like a total necessity. Like I could never go back to when we were, you know, super broke and did not have the space and could only practice yeah. one at a time. In a certain sense, we do have a really similar process, though, because like I was saying, when I'm writing my music, a lot of times I'm playing chords and I'm singing the melody. That's true. That's how we, and that's what we you both do write too. music that way. So yes. we both write music that way, actually. Yes, that's hmm. true. So that is similar, but just the kind of sounds that we end up going for are very different. Um, I bet they're more similar than we tend to even imagine. Oh, I'm sure I bet there's something in common. I'm sure there's something in common, for sure. Um... I don't know. That's a tough question. I'm trying to think. Yeah, we're like too inside it to even. Know. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's hard to say. I need yeah. somebody else to tell me. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Pretty good. All right. So where can people find? So I insist is out on Greenleaf Music. You can find that on all the spots. All buy, the spots. Buy the CD. Where can they buy the CD? Um, you can buy the CD many, many places. You want to pass me that test copy? Let's do it. You can buy it. That's not a test copy. It's not. I don't know. I was just kidding. It's a real copy. It's a real, real um, fresh copy. Look at this. Wait, hold on a second. Do you have an open one? Look at this. You should show the inside. Album cover. What's the deal with the album cover? Let's do that real quick. Um, That's a, it's an awesome thanks, cover. Thanks, man. Uh, good friend of mine, Hamo, made the album cover. I commissioned him to make this. Also the back cover, which I also really love. Mm. 
Um, it's a linoleum he print? He did a linoleum print. That's the black the black part. Mm-hmm. is a linoleum print. And then he watercolored in all the colors. Mm. Um, he's a really interesting artist. He's uh, based in, I want to say, I think he's from Sweden. And, but his family is Guyanese, mm-hmm. like me. So my dad's from Guyana. I think one of his parents is also from Guyana. So we have that in common, like heritage-wise. And yeah, he just makes really interesting art that is very colorful and evocative to me and feels like it has a lot of African influence um, that is very familiar to me. My, my grandfather on my mom's side was like an art collector in Jamaica. It reminds me a lot of Jamaican art. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, maybe it's just like Caribbean style. It's like Caribbean art. Um, but then me and him have a lot in common. We're both young, black guys. When I met him, he was living in New York. And um, he's not a musician, but he was trying to make it as an artist out here. And so I just always felt like it was a good connection just in terms of who he, who the artist was. And I really love his art. So. Mm. Say his name again? Hamo. H-A-M-O. You can find That's his Instagram handle. Cool. Okay. At Hamo. Or yeah. no, his Instagram is Hamo House. Hamo House. H-A-M-O. H O U S E. Sweet. And uh, but they can you can get the CD on. Yeah, it's Greenleaf. on Spotify. It's, you can get it on the Greenleaf their Bandcamp page is mm-hmm. where they sell it. You can get it on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Tidal, etc. Um, I sell them in person. If you come see me at a gig, I'll sell you one for fifteen bucks. Sweet. Yep. And they can find you at Salem's Hour on Sunday nights now. That's right. On the regular. That's yep. right. And then. Uh, Great, and then Sammy, you got a you got a record under your own name called. Mm-hmm. I have one um, as Sammy Stevens and the Man I Love, and that's called And I'm Right, mm. and I have it on vinyl. It's on vinyl. If you there want. you go. There's some I, vinyl left. I, I always <laughs> encourage people to buy the CDs because, or to buy the vinyl. Yeah, that's the please. Best way you can support the music. Yeah. And it's beautiful vinyl too. It's like clear. Some of it's Coke bottle green. It's really cute. It's cool. Mm. And and honestly, when I hear that album like as MP3s, I'm like, okay, yeah, it's an okay album. And when I hear it on vinyl, I'm like, I'm a genius. <laughs> I'm like, this is the best thing uh, you ever. Get that, you like get that it hit. just sounds better. Yeah. It's just it really just sounds. It does better. sound different. Yeah. It counts for a lot. It was yeah. mixed for um, for vinyl too. Like that's how it was made. It's mm. a, a good move. Well, congratulations on the new record. And we'll be looking forward to hearing the next thing. Thanks, buddy. Thanks so much for having us, man. This was fun. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. Appreciate it. Check it out, guys. Boom. I insist. (laughs) I insist you check it out. I insist you do. We out. All right, gang. Thanks for sticking around for another super fun episode of Jazztopia. Big thanks to Kazende George and Sammy Stevens for joining me this week. It was great to hear their album. Be sure to check out... Kaz's new record, I Insist, on Greenleaf Music. It's a really beautiful record. I meant all those things that I said. It's really a great album. Check it out for sure. All right. If you'd like to stay up to date with what we're doing here, you can follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Podcast. You can also find us on all the regular podcasting, Apple Podcasts, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, the whole thing. And we have a YouTube channel up and running with all of the video from the various discussions we've had and we're going to keep putting them out all right we're going to be uh just trying to build this thing little by little and uh put out some new episodes and talk to some musicians and try to get some new knowledge so if you like what's happening here uh you can be sure to find us on all these platforms be sure to tell your friends all right tell your friends spread the word we really appreciate that 
Uh, also, if you'd like to follow me, you can find me on Instagram at, at Bob Spellman or on Facebook at Bobby Spellman Music. Or you can find the Jazztopia at Facebook at Jazztopia Podcast. All right, gang, have a wonderful time. We'll be back with some more discussions on jazz and improvised music coming up real soon. See ya! Thank you.